And as we stand here and we proclaim these words, as we say that, that we want more of you, we want more of you, and that we want to be set on fire, passionate about the things in this book that you have given to us as, as wisdom and guidance for life. God, let that passion, let that just love of you be so real in our lives that it would pour out. And so God, as we cover some things this morning, some serious things, I pray that you would uh, give us ears to hear that you would speak to our hearts and speak to our minds, speak to our hands and to our feet here this morning, God. You're so good, and we praise you for this opportunity to worship this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can grab a seat. I know uh, we made it sound earlier like I was going to use a bunch of swear words or something this morning, so don't worry. I'm only going to use a few. I'm just teasing. Only one needed, that's right. Hey, I'm Pastor Jamie Kendrew, and uh, just we're so glad that you're here with us on behalf of Brad, the band, everybody. You know, God is really, really good, and I have gotten to, gotten, I have got to see God do some really amazing things recently in people's lives, and, and I'm here to tell you, we're going to jump right into it, because we've, we've got kind of two lessons I really want to teach this morning, and, and I just want to say to you guys, like, isn't it good to know that you're all screwed up? And, and I say this almost every time I preach, but isn't it good to know that we're, we're like a classroom full of train wrecks right now? Amen? I mean, I, I, Paul says he was the chief of sinners. Well, I'm here to tell you, your pastoral staff, we're pretty jacked up ourselves. Our worship team is made up of a bunch of sinners. Okay? Let me tell you, if you're sitting there going, oh, that's not good, then you're a liar and you're a sinner too. Because we are all messed up, broken pieces, shattered images of God, right? Amen. You can clap for that, I guess. Wait, 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 we got to start that over. Okay, we're all broken. We're all messed up. And, and sometimes I have you look at each other, even remind us of that. But the truth be told that this morning, we're going to talk about some very heavy things in here. And what I don't want us to do is to look down our nose at somebody else and say, well, you did this, you did this, or well, you did this, or yeah, well, you did this. When the truth of the matter is that we're all a train wreck, we're all messed up, and if it hadn't been for the grace of God and the mercy of God, not anything that we do, every single one of us has a destination of hell. Do you know where sinners go when they die? They go to heaven. And they only go to heaven. When they accepted their Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they confessed their sins to Him. And they hand that junk over to Him. And they say, I'm a train wreck. I need your help. So hopefully this morning you can look at me and say, I'm a train wreck and I got help. Because our passage of Scripture this morning is so good. Pastor Jared last week kind of took us down a road of what it looked like to be somebody who handles the Word of God. And, and Timothy, who this letter is written to in the book of 2 Timothy 2, this was written to Timothy from Paul. Now, we'll give you the background every week, but Paul is this guy who, who's kind of like, he's got this mindset that the church is, is, is on shaky grounds. And he's absolutely right, because Paul is living kind of in the last days. He knows that he's, he's going to be killed, and he's given Timothy this wisdom Wisdom and how to be a young pastor. This, this book is really written to church leaders and to church folks who, who understand grace, who understand mercy. And last week, Jared talked to us about properly handling the Word of God. The week before that, I preached to you about the Scriptures and how important they were that Jesus even got into the Scriptures and wanted to know more about God. And I'm here to tell you guys, 
Get your nose in the Bible. Get your nose in the Bible. Our church plea this year is for you to read through the Bible with us. I I know I'm trying to do it, and, and it takes discipline. But this book is good. And we need to be proper workmen who can correctly handle the word of truth. Because last week we heard about this guy, I think his name's, I was going to say Philemon, but that's definitely not correct. It's like Philetus and, and um, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Were these two guys that they were in the church, they were false teachers, they were going around, they were saying that the end of the world was nigh, and they, they were like that guy with the bullhorn that we'll sometimes see downtown. And they were spreading false doctrine. And Paul was trying to encourage Timothy. He's saying, you know, don't be like those guys. Get a grip on the word of God. Know what you're talking about. And this week, he continues this speech to Timothy by pointing out three key factors. He says, you need to be living righteously, Timothy. You need to be living righteously because God wants to use you. God wants to use you in amazing ways. And God wants to speak through you, Timothy. And if you're going to be a voice a mouthpiece for God, you can't be stuck on stupid. And those aren't my words. Let me read this scripture to you and we'll, we'll, we'll explain. In verse uh, 2 Timothy 2.20, if you have your Bibles, bring them to church with you. Because you can write stuff in your Bibles that you can't on the screens because that's expensive. Okay? <laughs> so bring your Bibles to church. Take notes. I highly encourage you. You're not adding to the Bible, so don't worry. You're not going to be you know, punished by God for underlining something, okay? But right, take notes in your scripture because you may want to go back to it one day. 2 Timothy 2.20 says this, In a large house, there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. Let me, let me, let me start with this. I've got a dog. And let's say I invite Pastor Robbie and, and Brad over to hang out some Sunday night and and I decide I'm going to make wedding soup. And I've got these two nice china bowls that, you know, my grandfather got, you know, in World War II. He brought them back. They're like handcrafted, painted with gold, and they sing as you bring them out of the closet. And they're just beautiful. <laughs> and I've got two of those. And then I've got my dog bowl, which used to be one of those bowls. But because I've got this little wiener dog that likes to chew on the bowl, you can tell it's a dog bowl. There's like this crusty Alpo stuff stuck to the side of it that some of you dog. How many guys are dog owners? How many of you guys are cat owners? Okay, we, you kind of know them. How many of you guys don't have pets at all? God bless you. All right? So, so you get this bowl, and there's like this crusty mongoloid-looking stuff stuck to the side of the bowl. Do you think Robbie or Brad would be excited if I brought down the two bowls, and I sat down in front of one of the nice pretty bowls and poured myself some wedding soup, and I went over to Pastor Robbie and gave him this noble bowl and poured some wedding soup in there, and then Brad is sitting there with his little butterfly of a voice and sings like a bird, and he's sitting there, and... And I say, here, Brad, I got you some soup. And I set down the mongoloid bowl, the, the bowl with, like, the Alpo stuck to the side of it. That it, it almost looks like we might have cleaned the kitty litter box with this thing. And, and we just poured wedding soup in there. How many of us would be excited about eating that? Not you. And that's Brad saying that, okay? You know, I think about this. Like, my in-laws are coming over to my house this afternoon after church. And so what happens is, is this ceremonial thing that everybody does that none of us admit to. We put on the fake house, Right? We, we clean up, we put stuff away. There's like, there's like that one washcloth that we use during, when we do dishes and stuff that looks like it should be burned and fires probably won't quench this thing. And we hide that. We take the little pooper scooper and we put that away. And, and we take these things that are they're really practical, they're really awesome, and we hide them. You know, could you imagine if you walked into my house and there was an Alpo bowl that said Buddy the Wonder Dog next to like fine china? 
That would just be ridiculous. But you know what's amazing to me is, is I watch some of these like, uh, Discovery Channel shows where these guys go out and they pick old junk. And it's amazing how they take this old junk and they transform it into these just invaluable treasures. And, and that's what Paul's telling Timothy right now. He's, he's talking to him about how there's these things kind of in the house of God that some of them may not look as pretty, some may not be this, but the truth of the matter is, is these things can be used for redemptive qualities. Listen to me. Every old school house in the birthplace of the United States had an outhouse of some sort. It was a nasty little bucket or pot or something like that. None of us desire to grow up and be known as that piece of furniture, do we? How many of you, you want to be known as the toilet? You don't. But the truth of the matter is, because of sin, that's how we all start. Pretty crappy spot. Amen? You can laugh. It's okay. I said that in church. Robbie gave you a warning. I don't want to hear it. So Paul is saying that, he says this, he goes on, In a large house there are articles not only for gold and silver, but also for wood and clay. Lost my place. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made wholly useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. That's good news to us. We can go from being the spittoon or the the piece of furniture that we hide to the beautiful thing that God wants to put on display. I think of Job. You know, we think of Job's life. This guy really got handed a terrible situation, but God bragged about Job. How cool is that? That God wants to transform us from the messed up, sinful, broken pieces of stuff that we are to being reflective images of Him. He wants to use us for his purpose. But in order for us to do that, we have got to pursue righteousness in our lives. Listen to me, church. We have gotten so afraid of that word because of the over-spiritual or the hyper-religious folks of days gone by that have pushed people away from God because of their piety, because of their super-religiosity, that we have kind of become more worried about the moralistic nature of whether we bought fair trade coffee or whether we bought the certain type of food with certain types of sweetener that's been recycled, we worry more about that stuff than we do the, our own purity. We worry more about silly worldly issues, and we think those are the moral debates of the day, instead of worrying about spiritual issues and being satisfied with disappointing God. People, we need, I need to pursue righteousness. God designed me for a good purpose. Why am I settling to be the bull of the dog? He goes on to say this. Uh, Okay, here we go. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do good work. He goes on to say this. He's talking to Timothy, this young pastor. He says, flee the evil desires of youth. What do you think those are? You know, I, I walk around a lot of stores, and I'll hear people talking about them kids. And, and it makes me laugh because they talk about, like, you know, when, when Paul's talking about the evil desires of our youth, he's not talking about egging somebody's house. He's not talking about toilet papering. He's, he's not talking about simple disobedience to your parents. He's talking about, like, our lustful desires, like, sexually. 
He's talking about the way that, that we will justify just living with somebody instead of really looking at what the Word of God says about marriage. Talks about, he's talking about what we think as a society about sex and our sex lives and the consequences of that and how that affects us. He's talking about how we as believers have the same divorce rate in our, in our congregations as the world does. That shouldn't be. We need to be pursuing righteousness. He's talking about these passions of these youth, the violence. There's this natural bent towards violence in these youthful desires. And I'm going to tell you right now, you, just because you're a young person, it doesn't mean you ha- that's what you're dealing with. Us old people can deal with that too. Amen? Amen? I don't care whether it's you're sitting at your computer working on a sermon and all of a sudden a little pop-up comes over here. I don't care if this 35-year-old pastor is as pure as a day as long, has a fantastic marriage, has a great wife. I have to fight the temptation to not look. So do you. Just like we have to fight the temptation to overeat and to abuse our body with alcohol and drugs. These are those desires that he's talking about. And specifically in this instance, Timothy is dealing with false teachers. And I'm going to tell you right now, can I let you in on a little pastoral secret? To be a pastor, there's a lot of education that has to come with that. That might not seem like that sometimes, especially this morning. But I had to go to school to six, for six years. And, and I can remember instances where I have gone to school and I have studied something for six years that someone just heard about this morning and they come up to me and they go, well, you're wrong. And Timothy is a young pastor like I was, like I am. And I have to fight the urge not to shake people sometimes. I'm just being honest. I, forgive me. But Timothy is dealing with us. And, and, and so what happens is as believers... We know what God says about sin. We know the path of righteousness. And sometimes for us as believers, when non-believers or people who don't get it come up to us and they're dealing with a sinful issue, what we do as a church, instead of doing what the Scripture is going to tell us in a minute, we want to shake them. And I'm being nice when I say that. Because the truth of the matter is, a lot of times in the church and as an institution, when people come to us and they confess their weaknesses and they confess that they've got junk going on in their life, Instead of us coming alongside and blessing and helping these people, we put a bullet in their head. We shoot the wounded. That's become like a Christianese thing. But it's true. I think of this conversation of abortion. Church, listen to me. We have missed the fight on abortion. We grabbed our axes and our pitchforks and we went about it all wrong. Listen to me. I don't think there's many things worse in our world today than abortion. It grieves my heart to know that there are thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of babies whose lives are snuffed out when God came, sent down his son Jesus from heaven and gave me a second chance at life. There are little ones out there who don't get the first chance at life. But I'm here to tell you, when people are caught up in abortion, if you know a woman who has had an abortion, nobody feels worse than that woman. She doesn't need a congregation of people who are supposed to love her to put their finger in her face and say, Sinner! What she needs is a group of people to come alongside of her, to stand with her, to cry with her, to weep with her. And say, God can forgive this. God can fix this. 
And I don't care whether it's abortion, it's alcoholism, whatever it is that you're dealing with, church, we have got to fight better the battles. We've got to quit standing up against stuff and start standing for people. Jesus Christ dealt very differently with the religious people who were supposed to get it that didn't than he did with people that didn't get it and were sinning. You think about the the Pharisees. He called them broods of vipers and said that when you do things, you tie up heavy loads, you put them on people's backs, and you make them twice the son of hell as you are. Those are the words of Christ, not me. But when the woman was caught in adultery and was broken of her sin, Jesus defended her. And I think sometimes as a church, we get that backwards. Look, Listen to these words. It goes on to say this. Paul to Timothy, don't have anything to, excuse me, he says, pursue righteousness, faith, and love. We're to pursue righteousness. If we are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to pursue righteousness. And I love what he says here. He says, uh, pursue righteousness along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because, you know, they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach them, not being resentful. See, what was happening last week when when Jared was talking about these two guys that were were spreading all these false teachings, what was happening was they had their camp and the church had its camp and the church was fighting back and, and it was like this gigantic battle that was going on and, and everybody was trying to win the debate. And something that was forgotten is that we as believers have a very different motive than the world. We're not here to win debates, amen? We are here to win souls. And so as when we as a church take up arms like the world does and we begin to fight battles with winning in mind instead of winning souls, we do more damage than we do good. Those guys, the reason why they were such false teachers is because there was people watching the church and watching these guys arguing. And they were a stumbling block. And you've probably heard this before. People say it all the time. The reason I want nothing to do with Christ is because I see the way his people treat each other. That should sicken us. Because in the word of God this morning, we hear that God's holy people should have nothing to do with stupid. Amen? It doesn't matter if the carpets are Pepto-Bismol pink or dog dirt brown. That's nothing to fight over. Because I'm going to tell you, as a parent, my kids are always watching. And as a believer, the world is always watching us. And the way that we have handled abortion is a humongous black eye, as destructive as the Crusades have been to Christianity. And I'll stand behind that statement. Because if it's just about winning, then theologically speaking, the Crusades were right. And we all know that's not true. Because it's about winning souls. For Christ. It goes on to say this flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with, um, excuse me, along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Am I saying that the argument of abortion is stupid? No. But sometimes the way we fight that battle is you're trying to expect somebody who doesn't believe what you believe to all of a sudden flip on that issue you cannot change somebody's politics until you change their heart and until you change their heart you're you're fighting a wall 
In fact, you're probably helping them build a wall. And I'm going to say it again as believers, we are not here to win debates. We are here to win souls. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you have to be able to uh, teach, not resentfully, those who oppose him. He must gently instruct in the hope, listen to this, this is so good, gently instruct them in the hope that God will grant them repentance. How many of you are excited about the fact that Jeffrey Dahmer could be in heaven worshiping God with us one day? I'm not. The guy was a serial killer. He ate people. But if God says that he can snatch him from the pits of hell the moment before his foot hits that fire, praise God. It is not my hammer to swing. It's not my gavel to put justice and judgment on people. It is my job to be a vessel for God, to be the mouthpiece by which he speaks, not a bullying mouthpiece, but a gentle, loving, kind mouthpiece that can take somebody with a totally different opinion of mine and say, God loves you. Let me tell you about Jesus. And you know what's awesome? Because I've seen this happen, is where people come to this saving faith of Jesus, and they go, holy cow, I'm totally getting this wrong. I bet there's a bajillion of you in this room who could, who could say that happened to you. There were things I was living in my life, but when I, when I met Christ, I didn't even know they were messed up and wrong. But the closer I came to the light, the more was shed on my broken and grossness. We as a church, as a group of believers, especially as pastors, we've got to be in love with one another. We have got to love broken people. We've got to look at people who don't have Christ and think those idiots, why don't they get it and want to shake them? And I know it's hard to do sometimes. But we've got to look at them like little infants who who are just trying to make it. And they're trying to make it on their own. How stupid would it be to see a little baby crawling around in the middle of the street with no parents around or nobody taking care of it? I'm here to tell you when people do not know the Lord, they are lost little children. And that is how God sees them. And God's probably going, why isn't anybody picking up my kids? Church, you're my bride. Take care of my kids. And so church, can we do that? When I think about this pro-life movement, I hear all kinds of arguments from people like, like, well, you know, what if a woman's raped or what if this is going to happen? And I'm not making light of that because I'm going to tell you right now, as a, as a child of rape, my mother was raped and I'm the product of that, there's some heavy baggage that comes with that. But I'm going to tell you right now, God will take the ugliest parts of our society and if his people can come alongside and if his people will submit that stuff to him, he will take the ugliest parts of our society and he will use them to glorify himself. And I don't know how that happens and I don't know what that looks like, but I promise you that will happen. When I think about this topic of abortion and I think about the topic of human trafficking, did you know there's more slavery in the world today than there's ever been? Surprise! Civil war ain't over. There's more slavery in the world today. And because it's not right in our face, we we don't deal with it. If we say we're going to be pro-life, it's not simply about putting a sign in our front yard saying stop abortion now with the pizza baby on it. It's about coming alongside a young girl who decides to keep her baby. It's about coming alongside of people who are hurting and maybe have gone through abortion and saying to them, I will hold your hand as you walk through this hell. Because I'm going to tell you right now, People that have gone through that, they, 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 just, they know 
They know how bad it is. And if you haven't walked down that road, you don't know. So put your finger away and get out, get out something more caring. Church, we need to love people. And I'm not saying we tolerate it at all. Don't hear me saying that. Because I'll tell you right now, I, I, it is gross. It is gross. It is gross. Sin is gross. In our human minds, we've got this little scale set up that, that has like six, you know, sin one through five. And this guy did this. Well, he's surely going to the seventh layer of hell. Listen to me. There's only layers in cakes. There is no layers in sin. Sin is sin. You can point your finger at someone who had an abortion, but if you're dealing with something in your life, you're in the same boat. So let's not put fingers on certain issues. Let's come around the hurting. Let's come around those that need Christ. Let's come around ourselves, folk, because as you admitted it earlier, we're all train wrecks. Amen? I need help. I need people to help me raise my kids. I need people to help me with my marriage, to help mentor. So do you. Paul is telling Timothy this message today. Don't have anything to do with stupid arguments because I am going to use you to snatch people from the gates of hell. That's awesome. That God is going to use us in that way if we will surrender this vessel to him. I'm so proud of it. There's a group of people in our church that have really taken this pro-life movement seriously. And they don't just simply stand against stuff. But, but there's, there's just these groups of people that are, that are standing with these little girls and women that have decided to keep their babies. You know, there's this organization called Choices Pregnancy Center. And choices, I had the privilege of going and hearing what they were all about. They're going to have a table in the back. And they provide choices for young women who, who have been brought. The church comes along and says, hey, don't abort your baby. You need to keep your baby. And a lot of times the church will leave it there. And these girls keep their babies and they go, now what? How can I afford to feed this mouth? I can't even feed myself. I don't have anywhere to live. And we're going to hear a little bit more about that in a minute from Judy Pitlick. But we've got to be people who come alongside. And Choices is an organization that come alongside these girls. And they say, keep your babies. They provide mobile. There's like a mobile unit that will be outside today. I think we've got pictures of it that, that you can go into. That They travel around and they help these girls. They, they do sonograms and, and health clinics for these young girls. Providing healthy options to abortion. Talking about what it might look like to adopt. Adoption's a great option. So they got choices. We've got young lives that operates out in this church. Listen to me. There's a lot of sin, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the days of our youth. Amen? And there's a lot of us that didn't get caught. Amen? But with consequences of sin and consequences of stuff, sometimes we get caught. And sometimes there's stuff that goes on, and we just need help. And I'm going to tell you right now, we've got an incredible organization called Young Lives that comes alongside of young women who find out that they're pregnant. I think Judy will tell us the average age is like 14 to 19, and they find out they're pregnant. And the world will tell them to abort. But they, they, they're courageous, and they decide to keep their children. And this organization comes alongside, not only mentoring the mothers, helping take care of the babies, and on certain occasions, they even help take care of the young baby daddies. I'm not, Judy, you can say it better than me. Why don't you just come up here real quick? Let's give it up for Judy Pitlick, everybody. So here we are this morning. We're talking about 
what it looks like for us as believers to not just stand against stuff all the time, but to stand with people. We're talking about abortion this morning. We're talking about being pro-life. And, and you guys have a very unique ministry um, that, I mean, you guys go right into the trenches. I mean, you encourage these girls to keep their babies, and then you disciple them through that. What, tell me a little bit about Young Lives. What's your mission? What's your vision? What's, where's your heart at with that? Well, first of all, I want to make one thing clear from what you said, is that we don't encourage the girls to keep their babies. Okay. We encourage their, the girls not to have an abortion. We do always ask the adoption question, always, because you never would want to um, close that door for someone. And if, if a girl comes to Young Lives, she'll keep her baby because she sees everybody having a great time at Young Lives. So I, that's one of the first questions I always ask a girl when she tells me she's pregnant. So um, we de- definitely support adoption. Um, is it, Young Lives is a ministry that, um, like Jamie said, when the girls um, choose life, they're met with just some amazing, difficult challenges in life. For one thing, they're still a teenager, but they usually come from pretty broken homes and, and broken backgrounds. And so they have this baby, and, and like Jamie said, it's like, what do I do now? And that's where we come in, and, and we walk with them. We accept them where they are, which is usually pretty broken, but beautiful. And our first um, thing, our first, most important thing is to lead them to Jesus so that they know who their father is and that they can always depend on him. Um, we also deal with girls in very practical ways, like furniture, places to live, um, parenting. So it just is a full, full circle type of ministry. That's awesome. Now you guys kind of, you kind of birthed out of uh, uh, another ministry, Young, Li- uh, Young Life. Young Life. Uh, tell us about that connection there. Well, Young Life is an international organization that has been around since 1941 and is in 85 countries and is what was happening is teen moms were coming to their um, get-togethers, and they found that the girls just had too many difficult needs that they couldn't deal with. And so that's how uh, Young Lives was born out of that. Okay. So there's, there's lots of stories, I'm sure, that you can oh, sit up here yeah. and you can tell us. But I know that you know, earlier in the earlier service, you shared one about a, a young girl and, and her thoughts. And so would you share with everybody sure. kind of a, a story? Get my phone out. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> Um, I won't tell you her name, but she is a beautiful young lady. She's 17 and had been um, shipped around from family member to family member, couch surfing with her baby. And um, it it just was so sad because she was so quiet. She went to camp with us over the summer, which was so wonderful to see her blossom. She accepted Christ. And um, so not too long ago, she got her apartment for the first time, and a couple mentors went to visit her, and in her apartment was an air mattress, and that was it. That was the only thing she had, and she didn't even have any lamps. She used the bathroom light, so at night, that was the only light that she had, living in a cave Mm -hmm. with her newborn baby all alone for the very first time. 
She had lived in, in, with other people, but she would have a tiny apartment and there would be seven or eight people living there. So she, we set her up with furniture and she was missing a bed. So last Sunday, I took, uh, Greg and I took her a bed and I was kind of apologizing for that the sheets were kind of worn. And she goes, oh, don't worry about that. She said, you have no idea what it's like to be able to sleep on a bed and have pillows and blankets and, and not sleep on a couch. And I want to share with you, we had, in November, we, we talked about Thanksgiving and blessings and being grateful. And we use Facebook um, a lot. And I wanted to share with you her, what she wrote. My blessing, and this pro- is probably everybody's in Young Lives, but my blessing is my child. I'd have to say she's my biggest blessing because she's a blessing that has brought many blessings. Having her brought me to Young Lives, who are the most amazing people that have done nothing but help me and my daughter and were there when I was unsure about a lot of things. She made me into a better person, and I can't imagine what my life would be like without her. And most of all, she opened me up and allowed myself to have a relationship with Jesus. It was a little rough at first, but I can slowly see my life rebuilding itself and just becoming happy. I believe it's when I turn to Jesus, and it would have never happened if it wasn't for my daughter. Hmm. That's beautiful. You can clap for that. It's amazing how sometimes the world will label something a mistake, and it, it's oftentimes what God will use as the biggest wake-up call in our life. There... One, one time, I think it was at camp, I was looking around the room, and, and I know a lot of the girls' personal stories, and, and I know what kind of life they led, and I, and I look at them now with their baby, and I said, you know, the idea just occurred to me that God has saved your life through your baby. And I said, how many people does that relate to? And one by one, all their hands came up, and they realized that God has saved them through this child, it makes that baby so much more a gift from God, and there, it has strengthened their faith, and, and they know. That's awesome. Well, I know that uh, you guys have an incredible ministry going on, and, and I know that this morning we're challenging you as a congregation to be involved, to take a, to take a stand with people. And so I know, Judy, you're looking for volunteers, and there's going to be an information table out in the back that if, if that is something that you're interested in and maybe serving in that capacity, coming alongside some of these, these girls or even just babysitting to hanging out with the dads, you know, come out and talk to Judy. But can we pray for you? Sure. Would that be all Thank right? you. Let's, let's pray for Judy and, and the ministry that they've got going on here. So, Father, we love you and we thank you. And, and God, I thank you for people like Judy, people that, um, people that are getting off of stupid and they're, they're coming alongside of people and they're just loving people, God. Sin is sin. We're not making excuses for it. But, God, you've called us as a group of believers to come alongside of people who are hurting, who are lost, and to be a lighthouse to them. And so, God, I pray for all these ministries, for, for choices, for, for young lives, and for this ministry we're going to mention in a moment, God. I pray that you would bless the socks off of them, that they would be able to be your hands and your feet as they minister to the broken. And may we all have a hungering and a desire to, to do just like that, God. So we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank Thanks, you. Judy. Get up for Judy, everybody.
So, I want to make sure I'm very clear on something. Our, our scripture this morning is, is advice for a young pastor and, and not losing his anger. You guys can go ahead and start playing. That'll work. Not losing his temper and not squabbling over stupid things. And I want to tell you, as a church, we can take a lot of lessons from that. Because whether it's abortion, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's me getting frustrated with my kid because he keeps asking me the same question over and over and over. The reality of it is, is there's things in our lives that we need to be dealing with, that we need to be hurting with each other, and we need to be coming alongside and strengthening one one another. We talk about being pro-life. Let's be pro-life for one another. Let's be pro-life for these things. Let's stand up for things. Every one of us has stuff in our lives that we need to deal with. Amen? And this morning is a call to you to do that. Wouldn't it be great to leave here with pure hearts and clean hands, knowing that God took all the secrets that you have, that he's willing to take those secrets and he's willing to make them right this morning. Maybe this morning, our topic of abortion, maybe you're a lady in here and you've walked that road. That's hard. And maybe you don't know where to turn to. You don't know who you can trust with that secret because in times past, people have hurt you. I'm going to have my friend Denise stand up right now. My friend Denise Corey has a ministry called Surrendering the Secret. And maybe abortion has touched your life and you need somewhere to turn. We recognize that there's, we're not going to have a table in the back. We're not going to make you stand up. No one's going to shun you. We want to weep and mourn with you. Denise has been on both sides of this fence, walking down that road. And I know that sometimes when you're hurting, it's really good to hurt with somebody who has the same mud on their shoes. Amen? And so, this is Denise. Look at her. If you need to reach out to somebody and this is what you're dealing with, find her. We have pastors on staff. We're going to have people available to pray with you. Maybe you're dealing with something separate. You can grab a seat, Denise. But if that's your specific issue, go to Denise. She's got an awesome ministry to help people Begin that road to recovery through that. Abortion's a gross thing that, that, that is a consequence of sin. As we read in our scripture this morning, there is nothing that God can't forgive you for. Nothing. He wants to snatch you. He wants to snatch me, snatch all of us from the pits of hell. Whether our sin is pornography, beating our wives, alcoholism, Whatever it is that we're dealing with, lying, God wants to take that from us this morning. And he wants us to leave this place with clean hands, a clean heart, and clean feet. Won't you pray with me? God, we love you and we thank you. Lord, thank you that we are all a mess and a train wrecks, God. You told us in your scripture this morning that you desire for us to pursue righteousness that you desire for us to be people who can speak boldly for you, but who do so with gentleness, love, and respect. And God, that we can be people who celebrate in the victory that we have been given a second chance at life, that we have been forgiven, that we have been redeemed, and that we need to go out in your name and share that good news with people. Because there's a lot of people out there, Lord, that don't know about this hope. 
and they think that they're, they're forever stuck in the bondage that they're in. But the reality of it is, God, is you forgave us all. And so help us to not be judgmental, but help us to come alongside people and to be purely pro-life, to be truly pro-life, and to love one another the way that you demonstrated to us through your son. So God, we commit this to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.